This is Pastor Scott Olbert for Spiritual Onion. Recently I read that onions contain a compound which aids our body's detoxification process. Eating onions help decrease our risk for disease. And I think we could agree that a fudge brownie, although tasting better than the onion, will not aid us in fighting disease. In fact, over the long haul, these brownies will increase our risk for disease. In the same vein, there are healthy spiritual and psychological perspectives and diseased spiritual and psychological perspectives. Let's see what these might look like. In the Gospel of Luke, there is a story about Jesus returning to his hometown, and since it is the Sabbath, he heads to the synagogue. Standing up among his hometown folks, he reads from the prophet Isaiah, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now here's where we need to be a bit sophisticated in our understanding of Scripture. If we examine the passage of Scripture from which Jesus reads, we discover that he apparently chooses to read only half of the last verse. He quotes the phrase, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, and eliminates in the day of vengeance of our God. Jesus chooses to leave out that last half of the verse because he has not experienced a God of vengeance. Jesus uses Hebrew scriptures in service of his perspective, and in order to correct any distorted thinking we might have about an angry and punitive God. What Jesus had at his disposal was the Hebrew Bible, what we now call the Old Testament. And what is unique about the Hebrew Scriptures and our New Testament Scriptures is that they contain the missteps in the interpretation of how God acts. This is one of the reasons why we say the Word of God as Scripture is alive. It is never contained in one interpretation for all time. It comes alive as in this case, Jesus uses it to reinterpret what Isaiah has written. Richard Rohr explains that just as Jesus does not include the phrase, the day of vengeance of our God, he also does not quote from the book of Numbers, which is ritualistic and legalistic. He never quotes from Joshua or Judges, which contains sanctified violence. Jesus does not quote from any of his scriptures where they are punitive, power-mongering, violent, or exclusionary. What is truly eye-opening, and I hope heart-opening, is that Jesus only quotes one verse from the 28 Thou Shalt Nots from Leviticus chapters 18 through 20, which includes every homophobe's favorite passage, if a man lies with a male as with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. 
So what is that one verse that Jesus quotes? Out of two complete chapters, it is only the 18th verse of the 19th chapter of Leviticus. You must love your neighbor as yourself. You must love your neighbor as yourself. If we immerse ourselves in Jesus' perspective, we see that he is not interested in all the thou shalt nots, but favors the one verse that corrects and sets aside all others. As we look at the contemporary religious scene portrayed in the media, it is downright embarrassing for any thoughtful people who attempt to follow the teachings of Jesus, because the arc of his teaching moves toward mercy, justice, forgiveness, and acceptance. He hangs out with the outcasts, those considered unclean by the religious establishment, the poor, the downtrodden, and the diseased. But what we see today in the media are TV evangelists pleading for money so they can purchase one more private jet, preachers living in multimillion-dollar mansions, pastors judging those they consider unacceptable, megachurch personalities asking us to send in seed money so God can shower us with more money. Right. Folks, the Bible is akin to a Rorschach test. Our, our eyes are drawn to passages that reveal the condition of our heart. Hateful people will find hateful verses. Loving people will discover loving verses. I recall a psychiatrist conducting a Rorschach test for a new patient. He held up the first inkblot and asked, what do you see? The fellow replied, two people having sex. All right. What do you see in this ink blot? As the psychiatrist held up a second. Uh, looks like two people having sex. And so it went for eight more ink blots. At the end of the session, the psychiatrist remarked, I think you may have a problem with sex. Me, the guy replied, you're the one showing me all those dirty pictures. So as we approach the scriptures, what we need in order to understand their complexity is a set of organizing principles. Martin Luther remarks that the Bible is the cradle in which we find the Christ child. So, primarily, we read all Scripture through the lens of Jesus Christ. First, the events of Holy Week, including his suffering, death, and resurrection. Secondly, all his teachings in the four Gospels. Then, all Scripture that is congruent with his teaching. That includes many of the books written by St. Paul, such as the book of Romans. But not all. Consider that Jesus treated all women with respect and included them as his followers. So we would consider passages from Paul, such as women be silent in church, 
as lacking congruence with Jesus' teaching. As it is with many passages of Scripture, such as our example provided by Jesus, we would see the notion of a vengeful God appearing anywhere in the Old or New Testaments as missteps in the understanding of God as revealed by Jesus Christ. Richard Rohr concludes that we can only safely read Scripture if we are somehow sharing in the divine gaze of love. We also must understand the context of any passage of Scripture and understand what it meant to those who first heard it. Here we turn most often to scholars who help us understand history, language, culture, and setting. So this is a healthy theological perspective. Without these interpretive principles, all Scripture carries equal weight, so that the proverb, let the poor man drink and forget his woes, is on par with the resurrection. A simple approach to Scripture usually leads to being simply wrong. Now let's move on with a healthy psychological perspective. In his hometown, Jesus is unable to perform any of the signs, miracles, and healings that he is able to do elsewhere. At first glance, this seems rather odd. What is it about his hometown that undermines his efficacy, that is, his personal power to impact the world? The key issue is contained in the question the synagogue-goers ask one another. Isn't this Joseph's son? Even though they are amazed at what they call his gracious words, they quickly lower their view of Jesus so that they see only Joseph's son. Their inability to see any greater breadth or depth in Jesus impacts his ability to perform signs, miracles, and healings. Why is this? I mean, this is Jesus, the supposed Son of God. Shouldn't his divine power overrule any diminishment in the eyes of others? That's where contemporary psychological theory helps us to see a greater depth in the Scriptures. So it is that a basic premise of self-psychology is that there is no me without thee. All of us, Jesus included, are to a greater or lesser degree dependent upon others for our self-image and our personal efficacy. From birth to death, our foundational psychological need is called mirroring. And it's just like it sounds. We see ourselves as others see us. We are dependent on the reflection we see in others' eyes. So psychologically, the most important factor in being seen is this soulful space between ourselves and other people. Let me share a painful experience around the lack of mirroring. Decades ago, I was on the staff of a large congregation. We were worshiping around a thousand persons a weekend. I was second in command, if you will, responsible for contemporary worship, 
evangelism and assimilation, small groups, adult education, a recovery program, and more. One weekend, my father, with whom I had a troubled relationship, visited the congregation. I learned that after his visit, he called my aunt because he could not see how I could be in such a responsible position in such a vibrant congregation. He could not see me or the skills I brought to the table. From birth to death, our basic psychological need is mirroring. Mirroring is the mother gazing lovingly into, his, into her infant eyes as she is breastfeeding. Mirroring is the parent's delight as the child takes its first steps. Mirroring is reflecting to our children their strengths and natural abilities. Mirroring is providing kudos to others. Great job. Couldn't have done it without you. I appreciate your kindness. You really have a talent for doing this or that. So Jesus clearly is negatively impacted by all his townspeople who can see him only as Joseph's son. So it is that we all need to surround ourselves with people who can see us as our best self. We all need to rid ourselves of people who cannot see us for who we are. A wise woman once said, the healthier we get, the smaller our circle of friends. Why is this? Because as we get healthier, we no longer can tolerate unhealthy people who do not add to a positive sense of ourself. And sometimes this does extend to our family. Just because they are flesh and blood does not mean they can see us. In fact, as in my example, family members sometimes cannot and will not see us for who we are. As an aside, this is why having a mentor is critically important. Because a mentor can see us, and a mentor wants to aid in our development. Well, in the face of his town's psychological reductionism, Jesus gives two examples that cut them to the quick. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years, and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath in the reason of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. If we update these examples, it would be like Jesus saying to a white extremist militia that God favors black people over them. So Jesus' examples create rage. Scripture says all the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of the town, and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. Jesus' wounds the townspeople's sense of themselves. 
a narcissistic injury which always results in rage. Jesus sees them for who they are, small-minded and judgmental. As in all narcissism, they think they are special. As in all narcissism, they are arrogant. As in all narcissism, they are overly sensitive to criticism. As in all narcissism, they need continued admiration. The Sufi poet Rumi remarks, Your task is not to seek for love, but merely to seek and find all the barriers within yourself that you have built against it. In the same manner, our ongoing spiritual process is to seek and find all those things that keep us from seeing others for all they are, from seeing God in all God's expansiveness, and to surround ourselves with those who see us for all we are, while all the time being on alert for our own unhealthy narcissism. So in the practice of ongoing mirroring, I want to acknowledge the talented and skilled persons who make spiritual onion possible, and without whom I could not contribute my part. Jason Melito, whose suggestion that I do a podcast started this venture. He is responsible for the name Spiritual Onion for the great graphics and for playing bass in the band. Shireen Jordan created the website, launches each podcast in a timely manner, and is responsible for digital marketing. Deb Olbert provides behind-the-scenes wisdom and unwavering support and mirroring for the whole team. Johnny Wick oversees sound production and plays a mean guitar. Aaron Castile sits in the pocket and keeps all of us right on time, steady and true. Leo Lobel plays bass, keyboards, and whatever else we need when recording. And I thank you for listening. I hope these podcasts help you in the intersection of theology and psychology. Be sure to check out our website at yourspiritualonion.com, and we'll be right here in two weeks with yet another Spiritual Onion. It was late last night. I was feeling something wasn't right.
but my feet.